I don't want to compete with somebody else that sells the same fly. And I can't compete on that level and pay five to six times the wage my competitors pay. <clears throat> so that really kind of led us into, well, then we're going to have to innovate. We can get a 10% margin increase on our products because of story, but a 40% on innovation. Mm. You think about that for a second, you put it together, it's half, there's half my margin right yeah. there. Welcome to the Startup Heroes Podcast, a place to learn about business from local Chattanooga superheroes sharing their entrepreneurial journey, their superpowers, kryptonite, sidekicks, and villains. You'll learn about the principles and actions it took these founders to build their dreams, and hopefully be inspired to do the same. Thank you for listening. All right. Everybody, welcome back to Startup Heroes with Hive Think Media. Today we have an awesome guest. His name is Jeff Coffey. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks. Uh, you, Chris. Yeah. Okay. So, real quick, what what do you do? What's the name of your business? Uh, uh, I own a company called Zoe Angling Group. Okay. Zoe. And um, what we did is create a business with the intent of creating employment for people coming out of sex trafficking. Um, and serving the fishing company, you know, industry as yeah. a whole. So we look at, you know, parts and pieces from individual lures out to tackle solutions and clothing and anything that we can do inside of that channel. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, so we're going to dig into that. Uh, and today we have our typical host. So I'm Chris Wood. I'm Dylan Wisnette. I'm Nate Tucker. And again, we have Jeff Coffey. Awesome. So origin story of Zoe Angling Group. First off, what is a fly? Uh, what like is a fly? Yeah. So a fly, um, you know, we have different types of fishing. Uh, most people have picked up a spinning rod and, and tossed out some bait with it, mm -hmm. uh, where the weight is what carries the lure out. So the weight is in the lure. But when we fly fish, you see people kind of waving that line in the air back and forth and don't know what's going on. Well, in that case, the weight isn't in the lure. We need it to float lightly on the water and mm -hmm. represent an insect. That's why we call it a fly. Okay. And, and we throw it in the air. So it kind of flies out there, but the weight is all in the line. And so it's, mm -hmm. it, it kind of changes up the dynamics of how that lure is presented to. So I imagine there's a big skill differential a little bit between those two kinds of fishing, would you say? Yeah. I mean, usually people kind of get up to fly fishing, but, but I've known a lot of people that's just where they started and stayed. Uh, I think a lot of people look at fly fishing as something that's more difficult than it really is get intimidated by it because they didn't have somebody to teach them. Yeah, that makes sense. How long do you think it takes a normal person to go from never having fly fish before to they can catching catch their first fish? fish? Yeah. So if you do it without a guide, it's five years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, that's your weekend warrior going out, trying a few things, going with their buddy that doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, you go out with a guide and it's one day and, and you'll have higher success rates. So I'm, wow. I'm always pushing on like, yeah, hire a guide yeah. locally. Five uh, years to one day. That's a, yeah, that's a good it's, sales pitch. <laughs> it's, it's worth it. It's yeah. worth it. You're going to pay $500 for the day, but you know, you just saved five years of frustration. That's mm -hmm. amazing. So specifically with Zoe Angling Group, what would you say is kind of your main priority of what you sell and then why you exist in the first place? So we'll yeah. start with what? So the, the what is, you know, we call ourselves an innovation company. We're innovating products uh, across the fishing industry. We're not just looking at the fly market. Um, fly fishing is one one hundredth of the fishing market. Oh wow! Uh, by the way, in the U.S., you guys know how big the fishing market is in the U.S. Get any idea? Dollar dollar value? Does that include commercial? No, uh, sport fishing in the U.S. Probably not super big. 
Yeah. Well, what do you think? Give me a number. I think Ooh. you're underestimating it. Yeah. I think it's gonna be huge. I'm thinking. Um, oh gosh, how do you even quantify that? It's in the billions for sure. It is. It is actually. Matter of fact, it is the second largest sport in huh. the country, only to jogging. That's incredible. Anyone 60 can do billion, it. Sixty That's billion fair. a year wow. is spent on fishing on individual anglers. Now that includes your boats and that includes your guides and the tackle, mm. but just our tackle is about 8 billion a year. And so, you know, we're talking about a significant, you take all of golf and tennis and double it. You yeah. still don't equal fishing. Wow. That's crazy. Twice as many people on a Saturday morning, watch the Bassmaster classic than watch NASCAR, huh. <laughs> right? Everybody's yeah. got a pond in their backyard, but not everybody's going to drive a race car. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it's, fair. It's that connection. That's fair. And so, you know, the other piece of that is that connection piece is like fishing. You talk to somebody about it, like, oh, my grandpa, my dad, my best friend. There's this a connective tissue yeah. that happens in that that I think doesn't happen in a lot of other things. That's super fair. And I, I think it's just as popular in the southeast as it is in the northwest and northeast and southwest. And the northwest, it's just different it's a way flavors. Of life. Yeah. yeah. Southeast, bass, you know, people say it's a way of life. It's yeah. It's part of our identity almost mm. when, when we get into angling, right? Like yeah. this is the species I chase and this is what I know. <laughs> and this is my bass boat. Yeah. And this is the truck that tows my bass. boat. like, you know, like we wear it on our sleeve. Yeah. I mean, growing up, some of the best memories I have with my grandparents were fishing related. So yeah. mm -hmm. totally get that. They had a boat and we'd go out even before the boat. We went out to uh, like kind of Biloxi area, South Mississippi. And uh, we just went on, they had piers and you could just fish for, normal fish or we used to crab a lot so we yeah. we'd buy the really cheap chicken like chicken necks and we had this little uh kind of net thing and we'd throw it in the water and if a crab went on it you just pick it up and get crab you know that's crab it. cakes for dinner so. that's right like those are memories you just oh yeah you can't get anywhere else that's fascinating well, that's really cool okay so that's what you do and then i really should have started with why because that's our whole thing but <laughs> so then why do you guys exist because i know yeah. this is a really integral part of your mission yeah you know eight years ago um I really wanted to do something that was going to impact my community through business. So, I'd, I'd, you know, before that, I was I spent 14 years in building and selling software companies. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just about the next sale. It's about the next sale. It's about the next sale. But how am I impacting my community through the effort that I'm putting in every day? Yeah. Uh, I wasn't even hardly home three days a month. I mean, it was just running so hard. And so I was going to open a fly shop and I went to go buy the flies for that fly shop. And uh, the, the distributor looked at me and says, oh, no, 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 you don't buy the flies from me here. Meet me over in Asia and we'll put you up. We'll show you a good time. What do you like, little boys or little girls? Mm. Just propositioned me right there. I was so angry. I'd, I had heard that it happened in the industry, but until you're like touched yeah. by it or impacted. Um, he, he then went on to list no names in our industry that had taken him up on his offer. Wow. And I was so angry. I was, I was enraged. I'm, yeah. I'm a dad. I've got three daughters. And the thought that somebody would see another human that way um, enraged me. So I was driving home. I told my wife, I said, we're out. We're not doing the fly shop. Um, and we started as, as a company called Fair Flies. Mm -hmm. and, and the idea was, how about instead of exploiting people for our sport, our entertainment, how about instead of exploiting people, we find people that have been exploited and pay them double living wage. How about we leverage the margins in this industry to start breaking cycles yeah. that our industry has been uh, complicit at, at a minimum mm -hmm. complicit. 
And um, so that was kind of the start eight years ago. Just back yeah. in November was our eight year anniversary, and and it's been a lot of learning curve. Uh, uh, first off, that's that's incredible, uh, incredibly sad uh, and frustrating, and um, it's always nice to hear people that see something they don't like and instead of just trying to forget about it or move on really do something about it that's really encouraging um so it's been eight years and so you started with one idea it obviously changed a little bit so how in this eight years what are some of the things that have really changed and have kind of evolved into uh, Zoe England group today and what you're currently doing. Yeah. The, the original idea was how about we just, um, source ethically tied flies. Mm -hmm. I'm a fly angler. I've been a guide for 30 years in the Northwest. Um, how about we just find good quality products? And after two years of really looking with a, a base, the, the base was pay people a living wage and don't sell them. Right. <laughs> like, and you would think that would be really easy to go out and find, and, and it was more challenging than I anticipated. So then it was okay. We're gonna we're gonna build our own tying team, and then it was okay. Now we have to compete against our competitors that have you know two and a half three million dollars in inventory, and we don't have that. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we launched this company with two hundred dollars in the bank. Um, I had just invested in a fly shop that I wasn't gonna see any money back for, mm. and so um, yeah, it's 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 morphed in the. A, how do we take more control over it so that we can set the standards, uh, the quality? Uh, also, I don't want to compete with somebody else that sells the same fly, an elk hair caddis, or, or, right? Like, I can't compete on that level and pay five to six times the wage my competitors pay. <clears throat> so that really kind of led us into, well, then we're going to have to innovate. You know, we can get a 10% margin increase on our products because of story. 10% is kind of where we've kind of found that point where people <clears throat> will still buy, but a 40% on innovation. Mm. You think about that for a second, you put it together. There's half, there's half my margin right yeah. there. We've got, you know, a good story. It's not just a story. We're actually doing it. Um, and I think that the only way we get to compete and, and really kind of was the, the learning curve yeah. was to innovate, to, to do things that other people weren't, taking as far down the line that, that weren't solving all the problems. We call ourselves a quad bottom line company. So let me define that really quick. Every company, every organization in the world has a fiscal bottom line. Mm -hmm. We have a social, what we consider our social <clears throat> bottom line. That is something that directly impacts the community through our supply chain. Okay. Uh, we have an environmental uh, portion that we, we measure. So uh, we just launched a line of products that replaced lead with a better than lead solution. So we see over 4,000 tons a year left in our waterways by sport anglers. Mm. Um, actually, it's over 4,300 tons a year wow. um, that leach, that does leach into our waterways. Um, you know, our, all of our synthetics, our post-consumer recycled products, um, our dye processes, our EPA certified non-toxic, we're the first ones to eliminate battery acid in, in dyeing mylars and acetates. So we, we, we take the environmental side of what we're doing really seriously too, mm -hmm. not, not because we're just, you know, a bunch of granola eating, <laughs> you know, Birkenstock wearing, like not there's anything wrong with Birkenstocks. I love my Birks. <laughs> but but it's, it's not about just being correct. 
It's about doing something different. Yeah. And then how can we innovate in it? Because that forces us to ask different questions than our competitors. 92% of the fishing industry comes out of China. Mm. The industry is about to get hit pretty hard, right? Yeah. One of our 7,200 SKUs comes from China. It was the only place we could get it produced. So we set out right off the bat, we're not gonna just buy stuff that comes out of factories, slap our logo on it and go sell a brand. Mm -hmm. We're gonna actually make products that make a difference for the environment, have social impact and are sustainable. That's amazing. <clears throat> so vertical integration to the nth degree, basically. Yeah, and it just, <laughs> you, you just, it's, it literally is, is the rabbit hole. Like yeah. the deeper you go down this, uh, I'll never forget our, when we first started, I just wanted to sell some flies. But you know, you need to have some swag. So I go buy some hats and they were these beautifully embroidered hats with a fish jumping out of the water and grabbing a fly, right? Yeah. And it says fair flies across the top. And the first guy I handed that hat to, he turns the hat inside out, reads the tag, says Vietnam. I see, and he says, I see the fair trade stop somewhere. Mm. And that was like the aha, like crap. <laughs> like we're, we don't get to take any, if we're, if we're gonna take the stance, we don't get to take the shortcut of just buying tchotchkes and, and stuff and slapping our logo on it. Yeah, We have to be intentional about every single thing we mm. touch. And that's challenging. Yeah, That's not an easy turnkey. We've had to build it. It's taken eight years. Yeah. We're still building. <laughs> That's amazing. So you make your own merch now or at least a uh, secure all yeah. all of our all of our merch all of our hats t-shirts hoodies and all that kind of stuff um are are done with a partner mm -hmm. um that is over 75 percent rescued individuals out of sex trafficking mm. um our our fibers our organic fibers um our dye processes you know we have we have really tight tolerances so we don't own the factories we go help mm -hmm. set them up Nice. And if they're not doing what we need to do, if we can go up, go over with a partner that shares our values, mm -hmm. which is valuing people first, environment closely thereafter, mm -hmm. um, then we'll partner with them and we'll help develop lines of products. Again, they have to be innovative. They have to sign, you know, agreements that they won't sell our products to somebody else and all that kind of stuff. Because that's where our margins are is in that, that innovation. Yeah. 40%. So you were telling me, I think a couple of weeks ago that uh, on the innovation note that some of your processes make it to where you go from being able to make a fly every maybe a couple minutes or an hour or something, and then you can change it when innovation, it just like 10 times or hundred times more efficient. Yeah. Is that part of the innovation is it just, is. it is. Yeah. We're, we're asking those questions again on our environmental impact and social impact, but then I still have to compete. Yeah. I can't sell $10 flies. If Orvis is selling them for two and a quarter. Yeah. It, you know, so that means I have to make up for that difference somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were tying these these flies for a customer and it was taking 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So industry standard for a fly fishing fly, an they'll care caddis or just your basic standard fly, right? Uh, is four minutes. Oh, wow. They, got it, I, they have to tie 10 dozen flies a day to meet quota. Mm -hmm. It's 120 wow. every day, every four minutes, turning the next one out. Most guys take 30 minutes to tie that fly, just to give you an idea of like, you know, the, how fast and how efficient they get. And so yeah. every, every, we evaluate every muscle movement, where a tool goes, where the material sits, how close to the vice does that material sit? And, you know, how do we lay out the hooks? 
we set up teams of people that pre-proportion things mm-hmm. for the tires so that they're not having to deal with proportion. We're trying to get efficiencies mm-hmm. built back in. So these these flies were commer- taking commercial tires, 15 to 20 minutes to tie. Super complex, mm-hmm. lots of materials. And everyone was coming out different, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's eye was like proportioning this a different weight or materials. And, and so we came up with an idea to take uh, what we call a composite brush or our 5D brushes. And we spin all those materials enough to tie a dozen flies between five strands of these custom proprietary made stainless steel wire. And what that did is that took us from 15 minutes production time to two and a half minutes. So we're under for a fly that that this is a more complex fly. So it's selling for six, seven, eight, nine dollars. So that gives us that ability so I can compete on time and production Mm -hmm. um, and make up that difference for what it's costing me to do to do places in remote remote landlocked countries yeah that are difficult to do business in we're doing it on purpose so we have to make up for that through innovation that's amazing i feel like no matter what your business is there's always ways you can innovate do better and not just better but just reevaluate why things are done one of my favorite quotes i've learned recently is just uh I don't remember who said it, but they said that they hate industry experts because they always get in the way of everything. <laughs> they said they're good for knowing what you should, uh, shouldn't do, but really bad for knowing what you should do. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times the people that really push the envelope and innovate in an industry are often from another industry and just come in and uh, they say, well, why do you do it that way? Well, we've been doing it this way for a hundred years. Yeah, but why couldn't you do it this way? And then, and then they do. Um, all right. So the last part of my section I want to talk about. So we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think the really awesome uh, value that you guys have is who you hire and why you hire them. So tell us a little bit about um, the the mission side of Zoe Angling Group and your partners overseas and kind of the mission side of your business and kind of um, how how you're doing that every day and what the vision is for the future. Yeah. So, you know, when I was first made aware of the, you know, how we treat people in, in our production processes, like, you know, you hear the stories and you think about this or that, but you until you're impacted by it, you just, you don't know. Um, we uh, got to a point where we were all in. We literally sold everything we owned and moved our family to, to Nepal. And really um, started looking at, you know, throughout Asia, the challenges that are there with human trafficking. It's 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 there, and what could we do about it? And so, um, really uh, through through the learning process on that, ninety two percent of women, specifically that are rescued from sex trafficking, ninety two percent of them end up back in the red light districts. Hmm. And the reason is, is because, you know, we're talking about cultures that have a shame-based culture. It's just part of it. Um, nobody will hire them. And, you know, when they're, you know, when an employer finds out what their past job was, well, they don't want that shame on their company. So they're back out on the street again. It's the scarlet letter. It's the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we have to intentionally create jobs. And, and we're starting from somebody who's got a lot of life trauma going on, they're, they're dealing with a lot. Yep. PTS and HIV and single parenthood in a lot of cases. And so, you know, we have to find partners that are boots on the ground and involved in their lives and are willing to put in uh, the extra time and effort necessary 
in order to to sustain the workforce. Mm. You know, at any given day, 30% of our staff can't show up for health or emotional reasons. Well, you have to build a model around that. Mm -hmm. You know, we build most of our functioning models around 80% of capacity, right? We're at 60 on a good day. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we do that? How do we do that and compete, right? Because we're still a business. We still have that fiscal bottom line. So um, the, the being intentional, we, we call it an intentional supply chain. We build partners that have feet on the ground, have shared mission, vision, values, uh, and we come in and train and equip. And I get to, I get to be the one. So I, you know, I literally know every single person that touches one of our products mm-hmm. anywhere in the world. Yeah, that's amazing. I sit on the floor with them. I know their life stories. I know their children. I, you know, we, um, this is much more of a benefit for me, I think, than it is for them uh, on a lot of days. So yeah, as a company, I think that when you start thinking about the leveraging capitalism, you know, we're kind of shaming it these days. Um, I don't think that that's the right answer. Mm. Uh, I think that the not-for-profit model, not that I don't agree with charity, but I think the not-for-profit model where we're letting the IRS determine what is good and isn't, like, mm-hmm. I just don't think they're equipped to do that. Yep. Um, I think that we can build more sustainable and transformative models through business if we're intentional about what we do. Mm-hmm. So that means if greed runs it and shareholders are running it and it's just about the bottom dollar, forget it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's causing more harm than good. It causes just as much harm to send aid. You know, I always say, what would you rather do today? Would you rather go grocery shopping with food stamps or a paycheck? I've never had anybody tell me with a straight face, food stamps, mm-hmm. right? There's shame in, in breaking out that card and like, oh, well, I've, I put beer up there and I can't buy beer with this. So hold mm-hmm. on a second, That's, I put that back. That's shame. That's the closest we might come to even thinking about that level. A paycheck changes everything. And when you've got an identity in your culture that is shameful, how do you find a new identity mm-hmm. in that? Well, I can do that through gainful employment. You know? Yeah. So, so you're, you're bringing communities to people that yeah. their own community. We're building maybe community. Doesn't want them. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're actually responsible to help build the community. And we yeah. engage, we engage with local missions efforts. We engage with local churches. We engage with all sorts of, you know, other, um, as I would say, charitable organizations that are looking to solve problems that in and of themselves don't pay yeah. an orphan, you know, nobody's making money on an orphanage. They're still needed. Yep. It's, it's still an important part of the society. So how can a business come alongside of that and make that orphanage more self-sustaining hmm. through training and employment and education? You know, like, what can we do? And it's it's not a socialist view. I'm not trying to equalize the playing field in sure. any way. You still have to work for your paycheck. Hmm. We're going to pay double living wage for that product. That starts to break cycles. Now, when I've got employees that are making more, they're spending more at the local store, which is then making more, right? Like, mm-hmm. which is then creating more jobs. Like it's this rising tide raises all ships yep. concept to it. And we can do that with the least of these. And I, I hate to say it that way, cause I don't see them as, as least, but when sure. we talk about cultural value, mm-hmm. right? A trafficked individual is, is the most marginalized individual in any culture. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, my, I, really feel strongly about i think all that is can be all summed up by the opportunity gap 
Um, yeah. cause it's not, it's not socialism. It's not anything like that. It's just some people have more opportunities because of a million number of things. Some people have less opportunities because of a million things. And so you're not seeking to make everyone equal. You're seeking to have everyone all have opportunities so that they can do what they feel they should. Um, that's and right. that's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> awesome. All right. That's yeah. Yeah. That, that story is incredible. I love your perspective. That's so unique. I don't think I've, I've ever seen like that kind of like capitalistic perspective before. That's fascinating. Um, I definitely want to talk to you sometime outside of this more to learn about that. You need to write a book. Uh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> so you've gone through so much and having to like experience these stories and work with these people. That's incredible. And I want to know, like, how do you get through that? Mm. <laughs> Oh, that's a good personal question. <laughs> um, yeah. Whew. I don't know. I have a good answer for you on that, to be honest. You know, I, I think that um, uh, it's heavy. It's heavy. Um, I think that I think that the, the way that I have found, and I, I don't know if it's the healthiest. I, I would, you know, I'd probably some people that know me would probably say, yeah, Jeff, you're, you're struggling with some PTS there. <laughs> like, um, but... The, I think that the healthy part is, is it's the thing that drives me in business. Mm. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about that, you know, that an entrepreneur is, is driven by the dollars. And while I know that that's an important part, you know, my investors don't like hearing me say this, like, but that's not the part that drives me. Except that by driving at the dollars, I'm able to sustain more jobs. Mm -hmm. My goal isn't a number dollar as much as it is a job creation dollar and sustainability in that. And so I turn that, those difficult things, those stories that I wish I didn't know or hadn't come alongside of, um, I get to turn that into drive that drives the whole company. And I, I think it's a more powerful drive than just driving at the dollar. Uh, we like to say it's got a more eternal value, mm -hmm. right? That's awesome. Yeah, because that's what I always think of whenever I'm talking to people who have like these businesses that are so focused on like doing social good is the fact that you have a lot of weight on you now because of that. Like you've implied, you are the livelihood for a lot of these people. You're their second chance. And that can really drag people down. And you can every mistake that the company makes can feel like I'm failing them as well. So getting past that is really really difficult and the fact that you've been able to be so successful is really impressive well, it all depends on how you measure success <laughs> <laughs> you know um we're still a struggling startup we're, we're trying to figure out difficult things and but but i i appreciate the question because it's it's one i don't i don't address very often it's it's more like stick that in the back and keep running mm -hmm. uh because we found ourselves in a position where actually lives depend on our our success so thinking about that then from like the perspective of the company and how you've spoken so much about innovation and about how you're doing all the social good for like your customers, how do they see that? What does that look like for them? You know, um, it's really interesting, right? Like, like, let's just get down to the brass tacks of market and, mm -hmm. and consumerism, right? Like I said, story gives me a 10% boost. That's it. I, I can't come in at double value, market value on something because it's saving somebody's life. Guilt purchases don't go very far, especially here in America, right? Um, also, we've discovered, you know, women obviously are, are more motivated by the story and the impact than men are. 
Mm-hmm. Men, we are we are very brass tacks. And this is this is gross generalities, right? But this is we're talking the nature of things. Um, we're part of an organization called the Freedom Business Alliance. They are companies that specifically were created to create employment for women coming out of sex trafficking. And um, the FBA uh, came out. And there's I don't know 150 companies in this organization. It's not very big, but mm-hmm. it's a good effort. And we are the only male-oriented product line, <laughs> the entire thing. Oh wow! And and again, we can't, we couldn't compete because men aren't typically motivated. Like, hey, this lure has a better social story to it. I'm going to go fishing with this. Like, maybe I'd be, it'd be more lucky of a lure because like it did something good. But it's not how we function. If it doesn't catch more fish, it doesn't matter. I'm not buying it. Right? We're we're very brass tacks. That's why I, I say I really push in on the innovation. Because if, if we can't win, I mean, we've got almost every one of our products has won every award in our industry for, for what we've done. Because we're asking difficult, difficult questions, we're not trying to let the good story allow us to take the shortcut of not being the most innovative new product. Gotcha. Did that answer your question? Yeah, that definitely does. That's really impressive. I was worrying about that the whole time because same perspective of I remember going fishing with my stepdad and we would just go to like the gas station to buy tackle or stuff like that. Yeah. There was never any concern about branding or anything like that. So I was just curious like what that would look like from there. And so it sounds like your biggest like superpower of your business is definitely the innovation side of it, which is like fantastic. H- how do you keep pushing that envelope? How do you encourage yourself and your team to keep going towards that innovative? Oh, that's the easier part. I am perpetually dissatisfied with everything. <laughs> Ask my wife, she'll tell you. Um, you know, uh, the salt shaker on the, on the table going out to dinner, like everything I look at, I just, I can't go, I can't help but look at it and say, that somehow could be better. <laughs> Um, so what's, what's really fun is I get to be who I am, who mm-hmm. I was made to be and just constantly like, you know, we just stepped out of a meeting and, you know, over the weekend, I had this idea for this, this stream side tool that I would want as a guide and would solve a lot of problems that nobody else has anything like it. Well, fortunately I can go into CAD, I can design it up. I can hand it to my R and D team. They'll set, set it in the printer and tomorrow I'll get to touch that product. <laughs> and then it's all about, you know, how do we onboard that all the way through to the consumer, you know, and what's that experience going to look like? It takes teams of people to keep up. Um, but it's the funnest part. It's, it's, it's really like, you know, staying out in front is just saying, why does this suck? What, what's, <laughs> you know, and, and continue mm-hmm. to push in and then asking the question, like, how does manufacturing this impact the environment? I love that. Yeah. It's the more like pragmatic approach, I guess, or like, um, looking at the glass and not really like going, Oh, it's half empty, but how can we fill it up? That's fascinating. So you've had all of these wonderful things that are going for you, the innovation side of it and the, the human side of it. What do you feel are things that are holding you back though, or things that you wish could help you do like a better job? <laughs> you know, it's, it's been an interesting journey on, on that. And you know, every entrepreneur is going to tell you the same thing. I'm, I'm sure you get the same answer every time it's capital, right? Mm-hmm. Like what holds you back capital? Um, it's, it's, you know, when we were story forward, when we started, we thought like our story makes a difference. Like this is, this is our, this is our, our keystone. And while it's part of our core values, it's no longer part of our sales. Mm-hmm. Like it's way back. You're going to learn way more about our award winning innovative products long before you understand how we made those products or where we source them from. Um, 
Same thing for, for investors when they say, oh, you're one of those social companies. First thing that goes through their head is, I'll never see my money again. <laughs> because that's been the history of it. When we start talking about social good, well, that clearly means you're not driven by the dollar, <laughs> conversation we just had. Um, so therefore, you're just going to keep coming back for more money like every other not-for-profit. And I'm never going to see my money again. Which wasn't true. It wasn't part of our model. But, but it certainly is, is an uphill battle on the capital side and the software we could say hey we got an idea we think so and so is going to buy this idea we're already in conversations with them they'll give you three thousand or three million dollars just to see if it sticks to the wall Mm -hmm. you start talking social justice stuff and and while that's coming around and there are groups that are saying i'm willing to take more risk to do this it's still considered the more risky thing to do which was was really interesting uh to me because they're tangible goods come on this is better than software isn't it not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, the ability to go at it fast and really put some gas money down because we're not uh, a technology and because we do have this social side of what we're doing, uh, that's been a, more of a challenge than it was in the software side. So has leaning a bit away from the social side as you do your marketing helped with getting more capital? Huge. Mm. Huge. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Um, and it's, it's not that, so we're a benefit corp. Therefore, it's actually written into our operating agreements that mission is on par. And legally, that's one of the advantages of being a benefit corp. I don't know if you guys have talked much about benefit corps, but um, one of the key things, I don't get a tax advantage for being a benefit corp or a B Corp certified. There's 13 different certifying agencies inside of being a benefit corp. Um, What it does is it allows me legally, so when I have a board member or an officer, we have fiduciary responsibility of that company, right? That's like part of the legal basics of Business 101. But when I'm a benefit corp, I can put mission on par with fiduciary responsibility. That means an investor can't sue us for making a missional decision over a financial decision. That's key. That's, that's a really big deal. We still have to be sustainable, right? If I go out of business, if I don't have money, I turn out the lights, I'm out of business. I've got 200 people without work tomorrow what drives you more goodness that's mm-hmm. that's so heavy <laughs> i <laughs> i Sorry. think this is by far it's good it's yeah, good. yeah. The, the mic <laughs> we've yeah we've never had an episode like this this is phenomenal so goodness but after you just saying that I, this question comes across really hard so um i hate to like basically like sound like you've if it sounds like everything you're doing is like amazing i can't imagine Uh, like anything we get things wrong we're like any other company we're just trying to figure it out right well with that in mind are there any like major mistakes that you've made that if you could go back you would change (laughs) how long you have (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean like like we're talking about like you know thinking that that somehow the story was going to give us a free pass Mm. over innovation it doesn't any company that wants to compete has to innovate. If you're not innovating, you're, you're already so cash forward down, you know, you've been around for so long, you don't feel like you have to innovate anymore. And then even those companies get replaced. I mean, Blockbuster, right? yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, all they had to do was agree with Redbox instead of hold their, their line. And They had a chance to buy Redbox. For I know. Like dirt cheap. <laughs> dirt yeah, cheap. I know. And somebody's kicking themselves over that, you know? Um, so, yeah, uh, how? how we started, you know, and, and learning that we needed, you know, Western influence with shared values, boots on the ground, 
in order to to do it right and sustain it. Um, you know, gosh, I could, I could, like I said, I I could go I could go for the rest of the day on on that the, the mistakes that we have made and we continue to make and things that you know to to get in to a Hindu country with natural products. Like the first time you go to a Hindu country and you try to import cow tail to tie flies. Ooh. Think about that for a second. Oh no. <laughs> um, that, that creates a problem, right? That you didn't think about culturally going in. And um, so, you know, that, that took a year and $125,000 investment to get through the legal and change federal laws in a particular country in order to just import our materials without a 500% tax on everything that landed there before I had to then buy it back. So like, uh, if I could tell anybody one shortcut on this is if you want to do something like this in another country, go to the country, ship yourself a box full of everything you need to run that (laughs) and see if you can get through customs or not. Like you want to know the quick fail point, you know, uh, fail quick, fail often. Isn't that, you know, kind of one of the the mottos of of startup? The, the quicker you can figure out fail points, uh, the better. We got lists of, of doing it, you know, um, worked with a group and uh, got, a, you know, a bunch of gals out of the red light district and employed them, trained them. Everything went great. We set up an apartment complex uh, or, or had leased, you know, from an apartment complex to get them housing because mm-hmm. they didn't have their own houses and they need to get out of the safe homes. And... Um, came, you know, a month later, we find out that the landlords, those, those buildings found out what the woman had done in their previous identity and were requiring services in order to still have the right to pay rent. Oh my gosh. Right. So I I would call that a major fail, a major fail. But from those fails, you, you learn and you, you, you know, we ended up leasing an entire apartment complex, um, and, and putting our own managers in place and, and having to take over, like when we say we're going down the rabbit hole of solving problems, right? Like you don't start thinking about the housing and childcare for your, your staff when you start a startup company, <laughs> but we have to, we have to, we have to go all the way through those lines. And so, yeah, major mistakes. Well, these are all mistakes though, that if I heard any other company say these, this would be like the ender. This would be what does them in. They would not huh. be able to move past these. So what like kept you going over all of these? Like when, whenever you got like the news of that, like what would be like your initial reaction? If, if it had been software, we would have shut it down and moved on to the next thing. Right. And so that's why I always push back and I say our, our driving factor, not being just the dollar, we would have quit if it was for the dollar a long time ago. I think we run harder when there's a human life on the line and that's what we're fighting for. When we're looking for, for to, true transformation for individuals, that's got, that, that runs you way past stop points. Quitting's not an option. <laughs> Failing's not an option. We have failures, but, but failing would be quitting to me and I just refuse. That's amazing. Well, I, I think you guys have already done incredible. I, I don't think we've had anyone have a story like this. I, I think you're a major success. I can't wait to see what you keep doing. And speaking of that, Dylan. All right, Jeff. All we're right. going to go to the end game portion. This is like this rapid podcast. fire. Like everybody gets to take shots. Right? <laughs> yeah, we're going to get there in a bit. So, but first I have a few questions for you, Jeff. So yeah. for Zoe Angling Group, where are you guys going next? What are, <laughs> what, what's the plan? 
Yeah. So um, we this year will be launching two completely new product lines. And um, between those two product lines, looking at hiring 40 more people, um, we just launched our lead free lure lines that are growing quickly, like the the, the skew offering, the, the different patterns and designs of different lures. Um, and we're, in talk, we're, we're talking with major global retailers that want to see us replace lead uh, on the line for them. So that's really where our focus is, but we're, we're, we're playing around, we're getting into composites, carbon fiber stuff. And um, we've got a team tooled up. Um, we're gonna start with things like tackle boxes, but go from there with, with what we can do with it. Um, and, you know, we're looking inside of that. Those are acrylic-based resins. Uh, we're looking to see what we could do with plant-based resins. What, what could we do, again, looking all the way down at our materials, what can we innovate in and around with even the chemistry of, of how we produce things? If you ever need coffee grounds, you know where to go. <laughs> right? Hey, I wonder how, how how those would string up in resin. We, dry dry me up some. We'll we'll play with it. We we literally like have buckets every day that we just throw away because we can't find places to take them. So that's so cool. Yeah, that's just, so cool. Just let us like there's a leftover. Like some of our products like get cut off of a backing. Right. Right. That backing goes down the street to another supplier where we're doing that, that shreds it and puts it in mattresses. <laughs> so like, w like even all the way through in our, our production, we're always looking at that like zero waste solution to it. I, you know, we're always looking at what we can do with recycled. Uh, we go through a lot of uh, milk gallons too. Okay. Drugs, okay. So. Well, hey, that's ABS. We can break that down. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, what do you want people to know about your company? Oh man! If there's one thing, <laughs> um, that we are as passionate about the sport as you are. Like we're on the water and we love catching fish. Um, yeah, we, we talk about the social impact of this because it's, it's a conversation piece, but like you really want to get us fired up, like talk to us about why we make the products that we make and it's creating jobs is cool. These are really cool lures. Like these things, like they're innovation. They're, they're, they're changing the game. And so, yeah. All right. And, and you said you would see yourself as a serial entrepreneur. Yes. So guilty as charged. Do you find, or do you think that there's going to be another business in the near future for you? You know, um, yes, absolutely. Continuous. <laughs> um, you know, I'm always saying we call ourselves an innovation company, but we are more into innovating how to be a company than just the individual products, right? Like, I mean, you're kind of hearing us like define this innovation. Can I do something that um, kind of wash, rinse, repeat? Could could I take this model and stamp it out with somebody else's passions and in a different market? And could, could I do those things? I want to see this model grow, not just this company grow. That's kind of the, the overall vision of this. And um, so what I love though, is my number one passion is, is being outdoors and chasing fish. Like, that's, I could do it 24 seven, never be tired of it. Um, it's a big market. Like we said, there's a lot of things to do. So we can just keep on coming up with new solutions and maybe someday we're building boats. I don't know, but we've kind of got that, that broad ability while staying within our lane of we impact the fishing market. There's, there's a billion things inside of there that we can keep on building. And so all we, the, the way that we're structured is we just launch a new brand. 
I don't have to start a new company. I don't have to go through all the legal and the setup and the, the, the literally I just put a new DBA on the books and we keep rolling. So it's kind of an unlimited company company. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. It kind of reminds me, Chris, about be caffeinated in the bagels. Yeah. Just keep going. going. Yeah. What else can I add that's in my lane? Yeah. Horizontal and then vertical. You know, we we go across and we go up. We go across and we go up and we just keep doing it. Yeah. I love it. Incredible. So before we get to rapid fire, I'm going to go and ask, where can people find you on social media? Yeah. So zag.fish, Z-A-G.fish is our kind of our home website. You can look at things there and find where you can buy all of our products and that kind of stuff. Um, Zoe Angling Group is our Instagram. Uh, so you can find us on Instagram and then all of our sub brands. If you're a fly angler, Fairflies is there. If you're a conventional gear angler, then Pivot is there. If you like making your own lures and Wasatch is there. Um, so, I mean, you'll, you'll get to find everything plus the channels there. Incredible. Moving on to rapid fire. Okay. First thing I got for you. What's your favorite book? It can be business or non-business. Uh, favorite book, Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute. All right. Um, what's your favorite restaurant in Chattanooga? Ooh, favorite restaurant in Chattanooga. Hmm. Man, it depends on the mood. I'm, I'm obviously, I'm an ethnic food guy, right? So I just got to have lunch at Sitar and uh, talk to the guys. There's some guys in there from Goa that like grew up like right next to where one of our factories is down there. So I get to go talk to them about like go in food, which you can't actually get in America. Okay. okay. It's, it's probably illegal. But um, <laughs> okay. Sitar yeah, is so good. It's, it's, it's legit. It is, they, yeah. They're good guys in there. So, you know, I mean, gosh, it's just Chattanooga's Chattanooga's a blessed city. Yeah. I, th I think there's a lot of really, it depends on what you're in the mood for. I mean, we got Edley's right behind us here. So, you know, going for barbecue on a, on a weekly basis, you know, I, I, I could go on all it's day. All we got stuff. great stuff. Have you been to Han Me? Oh yeah, been oh, to me. That's yesterday. a lot of fun. So good. Yeah, and and I'm gonna say this out loud, and I'll probably you know maybe this will get you <laughs> rankings for like most hated comment. Okay. I think the best hamburger in town is Public House. Really? If you have not had the hamburger, go in for happy hour, walk into the bar, and order that thing medium rare. Tell me it's not the best hamburger you've ever had. All right, I, I'm gonna do that. And I'm not <laughs> sponsored. I don't know if <laughs> okay. I'll even get a free beer out of that, but. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's awesome. Um, who's your favorite superhero? Favorite superhero? Mm. Favorite superhero? I don't know. I haven't even, that's, that's one I've never considered. <laughs> you know, I, when I, you know, people ask, you know, like, who is your favorite sports person? I, I'm not a sports guy, so I didn't grow up watching sports. Just not into it. Never paid attention to the who's who of things. Um, but you know, again, I come back to my heroes. My, there's there's a group of there's a. You know, this is just going to sound so cheesy, but it's just it's the only way I know how to answer this question. There's a group of women that call themselves Shakti that were rescued and work inside the red light district at Kathmandu, and and they 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 went back in and set up a clinic right in the middle of the red light district. Um, I think it's superheroes. Like yeah. they do that at the risk, you know, of of a lot of things and um that's that's my superheroes i i you know i can't think of like dc or you know um we used to when we launched our first office space was in the buildings owned by dark horse oh no way so okay. like i got to go in and see all the stuff on the wall and get to know all the people running the, the dark horse comments that kind of stuff. but that's just never been people 
Pe people are my superheroes. If anyone, or sorry, if you can meet anyone alive today, who would it be? That's still alive today? Um, can I go, can I go wait, back in time uh, a little? Yeah, yeah, let's go back in time. Back in time. Uh, C.S. Lewis. Ooh. I just love his perspective on life. I think it's just about 20 degrees off for most people. And I would have a pint and a pipe with him in a heartbeat. <laughs> love it. And then lastly, what's your favorite thing to make? Favorite thing to make? Oh man, to, to make that next fly that's gonna catch a fish. Like I just time at the vise uh, with a nice glass of scotch or something and, and getting to, to tie up. But, oh man, that's so tough because <laughs> I got so many toys. You guys haven't seen my shop yet, but like I've got mm -hmm. so many toys down there, I can make anything. Um, plastic injectors and lathes and CNC tables and all that kind of stuff to, um, I would say it's either tying flies or making something on the lathe. If I can turn apart, I just, it's just so much fun. So I want to hit you one that's not here. Uh, what's your favorite fish? Ooh, good question. Okay. So as after 30 years of being a salmon trout and steelhead guide, <clears throat> you know, it's really tough to beat steelhead. Last year I got to catch my first permit. That was a lot of fun. But, you know, you're standing on the bow of a boat for three hours <laughs> looking for one shot in a 30-mile-an-hour crosswind. Like, it's, it's, it's known as the most difficult fish in the world to catch on the fly. But since getting here, redfish. Mm. I got to say, you get lots of targets, lots of grabs. They're, you know, they're, they're challenging to find, but once you find them, they're not super hard to catch. But, yeah. you know. They give a good fight, though. A good fight yeah. and a ton of fun. They don't, they don't just, like, roll over like, wet logs they like mm. actually fight yep. so right now my addiction and i'd say like right now ask me again in two years i'll probably pick a new addiction um but uh redfish okay it's a good question they taste good too and they taste really good <laughs> <laughs> if you're allowed to answer this i know a lot of fishermen don't like to give away their favorite spots uh, but what's a really great spot to fly fish in chattanooga if you want to try it out Ooh, just for trying chattanooga is a place a difficult place to just try it you know like you kind of got to commit um, but I'll say this, the, the lower stretch of the river here for smallmouth is a great place if you have boat access, uh, which again, it kind of takes you out of the just try it mode. You got to get on a boat. Mm. Um, I think if you've, got a, if you've got some form of a boat, you get to access a lot of water here. If you're doing walk-in, you're, you're heading to Telco or something out there. I'm new to the area, so this is all new game for me. Um, mm. You know, two, I'm two years in and I've been building the company, moving it here. So not as much time on the water as I'd like, but um, I think smallmouth is a great, great starting point if you can. And, um, you know, the guys at Hatch Outfitters will train you up and, and get you over local fish. I mean, there's there's options. And Chattanooga is starting to plant trout in more of the local local streams. I think uh, South Chickamauga and, and some others um, that, that we're starting to see that, that keeping people local and fishing is good for the economy. Nice. Would you awesome. eat a fish caught out of the Tennessee River? I have. Oh. Okay. Right. And you're still here. And I'm still here. You know, um, actually, it was, was funny. Is, is you talk to locals about Tennessee River because it's got such a terrible reputation, right? Mm -hmm. um, EPA says it's the, the, the water testing isn't, isn't testing as bad as, as you might think. Actually, it's, it's one of the fresher on the eastern half of the country. It's one of the, the better waterways. It's a little so, scary. Good to know. Yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> scary, but that's because you kind of grew up with this old, like, it's it's recovered. Like, yeah. we're seeing a lot of otters out of the water. Turtles mm. don't survive in bad water environments. Go down to the lake and see how many thousands of turtles are lining the shore. 
the water the, the water is actually pretty healthy. And all right. Not to say it couldn't get better, but <laughs> yeah, you know, all right. we're all going to die of something. Sure. Yeah. All right. I've got a couple of questions that I wrote down just to end with. Um, first off, do you think that all businesses should both have a fiduciary and mission component? Yes. Okay. And then how can a startup kind of, do you think, how can they find their mission component and tie it in to the fiduciary aspect? Yeah. Um, I think, I think it comes back to your personal values. I think when we're, we're looking at a, at building a company, you know, um, we go all in or you don't win, right? Like we know that, like you're, you're all in even on the bad days and it, it's got to line up with who you are or you can't push past those days, right? Like, I mean, mm. I know you've had those days where like two people walked in and you're like, I had five people on staff, you know, scheduled. Um, how in the world are we gonna do this? Rent's coming up. Like those those are the realities of, of anybody starting a yep. business. If I've, if I've got a missional aspect, if I've got a reason, whether that be local, national, international, it, it doesn't matter if, it, if it's even just down to my product. What's my product line? When I have that level of buy-in personally, I'm much more likely to succeed. That's amazing. Yeah, we, we talk a lot, a lot on the show and with our clients about starting with why the Simon Sinek yep. uh, kind of yep. philosophy and um, exactly that where a lot of times if you're just focused on the what and the money, that morning out of bed it's really hard sometimes just getting out of bed just what's the point but if you have that driving force behind you of that mission that purpose that why it makes things not necessarily super easy but doesn't easier make it easier yeah it doesn't make it easier i'm just more bought in <laughs> that's fair that's fair all right and then last question i want to ask so you're gearing up more in chattanooga you're kind of moving into town more and trying to set things up why chattanooga why here uh, I love Ch the people first. I yeah. mean, it's, it's guys like you. It's, it's, you know, uh, I got to come through Chattanooga, I don't know, 2018 for the first time mm. I was here. And like people talk to you in the line at the restaurant. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm from the Northwest. We don't do that. Eye contact is not something you do yeah. first and foremost. So I was really impacted by the, the people, the engagement, um, Chattanooga hit a lot of points for us. It's a beautiful hub for the Southeast. Mm. Uh, you know, it was between here and Charleston when we decided we were, we were coming out this way. Uh, Charleston's cool to vacation at, but Chattanooga is better to live in yep. my opinion. Right. Like there's not much traffic again, just the culture of, of who's here and people have been here for a lot of their lives. So there's deep, rich networks mm. of people. I think Charleston's a little bit more transient, maybe from some, somebody from Charleston set me straight on that. But, <laughs> um, you know, this is the most biodiverse region North of the Amazon. Oh. So for a fishing company to be able to get over water, I can leave before breakfast and be fishing redfish by lunch, you know, from here, mm -hmm. either go down, you know, to, I was just got to go down to Port St. Joe a couple weeks ago. Holy cow. That was fun. <laughs> Limited out every morning in two hours. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's small town living with big city services. Yep. The way I see it. Uh, the business community has been amazing. Just the integration and just the embrace, the embracing. Yep. Uh, honestly, you know, coming from the Northwest, like how are we going to be received in the South? And I couldn't imagine a w more warm, you know, in, environment. The Northwest was not embracing us the way that Chattanooga has as as a company. Yep. They liked our products. That was great. But, mm. but as a company and who we were and what we we're about wasn't being embraced. Yep. So... 
yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot here. That's awesome. Yeah, Chattanooga is great. We love it. All right. Uh, do you have any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners before you sign off? Everybody should try it. <laughs> um, if, if you're thinking about starting a company, uh, you know, and, and you want some resources or whatever, if you're local, mm-hmm. look me up, come find me. We'll, you know, buy me a beer and I'll tell you how to figure <laughs> it out um, or at least where to start. Uh, because, you know, if, again, as, as we look at a, a resurgence right now, a small business, mm-hmm. um, I think that we can can take our, our personal values and and play it out every single day. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a, that's a full life. By the way, Zoe, you didn't ask me what why the name. I almost did, but I hadn't gotten to it. Yeah. Why Zoe? <laughs> uh, Zoe is the Greek word for a full life. Mm. Right. And so with our intent of of seeing compromised uh, lives, uh, the idea that somebody could have a full life and, and it's really played out for us. It's it's proven to be a full life. And yeah, and so, with your quad bottom line right. stuff as well. That's yeah. amazing. Awesome. Zoe bottom line, Zoe full life. Full life. Yeah. I, I had one more question for you too, Jeff. So what can the average person do to help with trafficking victims? Um get involved. And and I always say I would rather prevent it from ever happening than have to respond to it having happened. Um, I think being aware of how, what you support impacts trafficking. I mean, there's some big topics, big topics, Mm. sporting arenas and the amount of women that are bust in for human trafficking just around our sports here in America. Like, Mm. what am I going to choose to support as an individual? And I, I think we need to start asking ourselves some hard questions if, you know, because the truth of the matter is, is if the business wasn't there, it wouldn't happen, right? We always, we always talk about the poor individual. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What about the fact that we keep on supporting it through our purchases? So ask harder questions, be prepared to sacrifice some things that you think you've always liked or appreciated, mm. understanding that that may be perpetuating the problem. And I think that as far as the average, when you say the average person, that's the biggest impact we can make. Mm. Vote with your dollars, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That's Ethical Consumerism by Jeff Coffee. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh, that's been our episode of Startup Heroes today with our guest, serial entrepreneur, Jeff Coffey. Jeff, thanks for coming on with us. This was hey, amazing. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Again, this is Chris Wood. Dylan Wisnett. Nate Tucker. And Jeff Coffey. And this has been Startup Heroes brought to you by HiveThink Media. This podcast brought to you by HiveThink Media. If you like this podcast and you want to stay in the know of what's going on with us, follow us at HiveThink Media on Instagram or check us out at HiveThinkMedia.com. Thank you for listening.